Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Today is our last weekend of Disciple Makers. If you have been with us at all over the past four weeks, you know that we have, we've spent this month really focused in on how to not only be a disciple of Jesus, but how to go about making disciples of Jesus as well as we've been called to do. And I know this has been a, a challenging series, right? A stretching series. It, it was sort of designed to be that way, to pull us all to a, a new level of obedience and focus on who Jesus is. So I hope that you have felt a little challenged and stretched during this, but not to the point of breaking. I I don't want any of you to feel stretched to the point where you are broken. Sometimes we can feel like life breaks us, right? We we get overwhelmed. And we say things back and forth to each other like, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not actually biblical, you know that? I've said it before. I've heard it said many times before, but it's not actually quite right. The Bible does say that he won't give us more temptation than we can handle. That's not what we mean when we say it. I mean, he won't give you more struggle than you can handle. Second Corinthians 1, however, says we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it, right? This was the calling God had placed on their lives. They were crushed and overwhelmed beyond their ability. In fact, we expected to die, it says. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who, by the way, raises the dead. Only on God, who raises the dead, the God of the impossible, right? That's who we're relying on, not ourselves, but on God. You know, sometimes I... This burden, this calling that we've been called to do, to make disciples of all nations, it threatens to crush us, stretch us beyond our ability to endure. It's heartbreaking work to invest in people, to pour into people and see them walk away. Heartbreaking. It's backbreaking work sometimes. It's sleepless nights and, and long days but it's worth it, and it's good. And I don't want to lie to you and tell you it's easy. It's not what you're signing up for to be a disciple maker. If you've joined us on this journey with the challenge and all of that, it's not easy, but God doesn't leave us to it by ourselves. He doesn't leave us alone in it. And if you remember the very first week, we, we kicked off this series, and I told you on the last week, we're going to talk about the helper. God sent a helper for us. He didn't leave us alone in this mission. And so today we're going to go to Acts 1, and we're going to read about Jesus' last moments on earth, his last season of his assignment, the work that God had called him to do. You know, by this point in his ministry, he had lived through his own personal hell. He had been tortured, uh, his body and mind. People had left him, betrayed him, denied him. He, He had lived through even death and overcame, right? He had to live through those things. God didn't supernaturally whisk him away and shield him from all of that pain. He had to walk through it. But in every possible way, he not only walked through it, but he came out thriving, overcoming. Jesus is the ultimate overcomer by his own strength and power through the 
Spirit of God, he overcame. And, and he wanted us to have that same power. The mission that we're called to, we need that same power to be called to something higher than just an easy life, a comfortable life. We're called to change the world with the message of the gospel, to live through the evil of this world and not only survive it, but to thrive. And so we're going to go to Acts 1 today and read about Jesus's last moments with his disciples and, and what he said to them. Now, this is written from the perspective of Luke, who was a doctor. He looked at things very analytically, and he wrote us two books, uh, the book of Luke and Acts, the continuation of Luke to tell us this story. And so he says in verse 1, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to stop there for just a minute because I think Jesus used those specific words purposefully because I know that God is a purposeful God, that when he chooses a word, he's not just throwing words around. He chooses the perfect word. When he says something, he's saying something. And so when Jesus described the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's a purposeful word, one we need to look into a little bit. Now, as a Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, Bible-thumping church, we throw around this term a lot, baptism in the Holy Spirit. But what does it actually mean? What did it mean in the context that he said it in? You know, to those disciples, those apostles, they were familiar with baptism, right? Jesus did it often. John did it often. Jesus did it himself, asked John to baptize him. He asked his disciples to do it as well. He said, go into all the world, baptizing believers in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so they knew it as a dunking in water, right? We, we baptized 105 people Last year, if you saw any of those baptism services, you saw us right down here with a tub full of water. We dunk people under the water, and we pull them back up. We declare them a new creation in Christ, right? They're publicly de declaring that they were an old person without Jesus and a new person, a new creation in Christ. And so we know that the baptism of water signifies a repentance of sin. The disciples did then as well, the washing away of the old and the ushering in of the new. And that experience tends to change a person. The wetness, the water, might be a temporary situation. Your clothes don't stay wet forever. Your hair doesn't stay wet forever, but it changes your soul forever nonetheless. I was baptized as a kid. I don't really remember a lot of the experiences around that time. I remember being dunked and where and when it happened, but I don't remember the exact feelings afterwards. But adults that we baptized last year or um, friends that I have that, that have been baptized lately describe the experience as life-changing. The feeling of the washing away of the old and becoming a new person. They, 
friend of mine was describing it to someone lately. He was actually pitching it, trying to recruit somebody to be baptized. And he said, you have to do it, man. It's, it's one thing to give your life to Jesus, but it's another thing to stand in front of a church full of people and declare that you are a follower of Jesus. He said, it's, it's a whole new experience. And you feel different afterward. And that feeling stuck with me for a while of, of being a new creation in Christ. Baptism in water has an effect on your soul. I started asking more people after they were baptized, how do you feel? What are you experiencing? And I got the same thing every time. It feels good, like I'm new. Start over again. It's a fresh start. Had an effect on their soul. And I believe Jesus chose the word baptism because the baptism in the Holy Spirit happens much the same. The initial dunking it may be a temporary wetness, a temporary feeling that comes over you, but the effects last forever. You're a different person after you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I do want to make sure that you, you understand baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes it here as a gift, a gift from the Father. It is not something you earn can't be good enough for it. None of us are good enough to have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God only resided in the inner court of the temple. Nobody got in except one priest every year who went in with a, a rope tied around his ankle just in case he wasn't worthy enough to be in the presence of God, and he died in that place, and they had to pull him out. That is no joke. We get to have the living, breathing Spirit of God within us all the time, not because we deserve to be in His presence, because it's a gift. Just like forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ is a gift we are given. Two young men last night after I preached this came up to the altar, and they both said similar things, different occasions. They said, I don't deserve, I know that I've been saved before, but I don't feel like I deserve it keep messing up. There's this darkness over my life that I can't seem to get rid of. I don't deserve salvation. And I said, well, first of all, you understand that that's a ridiculous statement. None of us deserve salvation. It cannot be earned. It's a gift. Receive it gladly, knowing who you are, acknowledging the fact that you will never be good enough. It's not possible. He gave it to you anyway because he loves you desperately. That is the, the Holy Spirit baptism as well. We can't deserve it. He gives it to us. And we become a different person after the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He convicts us from within. He makes us want to change and to be obedient because of the love that we experience. You know, there's three ways that I can identify, you know, even though I was... Baptized in the Holy Spirit as a kid as well. And I don't really remember that initial dunking as I described it. But I know that, that growing up with the Holy Spirit has been a different experience than most. I used to tell the kids back in kids' ministry, I, I feel like I got to avoid a lot of the pain, a lot of the mistakes that I saw my friends making because I had the Holy Spirit living within me at a very young age. We had a Holy Spirit club as kids. It was in the attic of our shed. <laughs> I don't even know how we all fit up there because it looks really tiny now. But it was a Holy Spirit club, and we saw our friends, neighbors, saved in that thing. Just us kids, no adults around. We even baptized 
kids in the Holy Spirit in that club. Kids can be powerful and effective when they have the Holy Spirit. Because that's who he is, not because that's who we were. I got to avoid that pain and the, the destruction that we can bring on ourselves in our teenage and young adult years. Not because of who I was, but because of who he is. And I can identify points in my life where I thought differently, acted differently, spoke differently because he was speaking for me. And there was one particular moment where I can remember this just it, it's striking me that we think differently after we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We, I was uh, chaperoning a kid's camp. And when we take kids to camp, they always have, you know, services, powerful services where kids go up to the altar and receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and give their lives to Jesus and are called into ministry sometimes and all of that. They're powerful moments. And when you see first through sixth graders, by the way, get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's this life-changing experience. And anyway, we were in this altar moment and kids were gathered around the altar. My girls had gone up and so I followed them and laid my hands on them and prayed and we sat together and tears just streaming down their little faces, not out of sadness or grief or guilt, but just love. You could tell they were just joyful and happy, and God was healing them from the inside out, right? They were worshiping and praising God, and it was this beautiful moment. And afterward, we, we walked back to the rooms, and uh, I wanted to sort of sum it up for them, get their experience and thoughts on what just happened. And I said, so did you, did you feel like God said anything? to you, like words, did you hear anything like that, and one of the girls, she was skipping along, even though she had just been crying at the altar, skipping along, and she stopped, and she was like, I just felt, she thought about it for a while, trying to find the right word, and she said, it was just like love, so much love, that's it, and she she started skipping along again, kids can just put it so plainly, and, and true, you know, they find that perfect word, and I think we often think of God as this judgmental, angry guy in the sky who's wagging his finger at us and condemning us for everything we're doing, and he's constantly disappointed in us, but when you get close to him, when you experience his spirit in you, on you, it's not that at all, it's just love like electric love you feel from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet it's it's just love instead of hearing about God's love you now feel it you are it it's within you and I've seen person after person adults and kids alike getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and they all describe that same experience God is healing me from the inside out like he really knows me and loves me And they start to think about life on different levels. They can see it from a different perspective. It's amazing how it happens that way. He he makes me think on different levels in just day-to-day life, too. There was one particular situation I remember struggling with. I had gone home that afternoon just, you know, worrying, fretting, thinking constantly. It was like a a pacing in my bedroom type of thing. I I couldn't sleep that night. I was just wrestling with it. God, what do I do? What's the next move? What's the right move here? I'm not hearing anything from you. I'm getting frustrated, right? And I'm just this tumultuous emotional moment. And I remember not being able to sleep that night and I was tossing and turning, couldn't shut off the thoughts. Have you ever had 
those nights, or is it just me? Some of you, maybe, no, just me, okay, that's fine, uh, but I had that moment, and I, I remember saying, nope, okay, I'm gonna take captive my thoughts, I know that I can instruct my soul to behave, right, I am in control, and I can, I can, um, tell myself to be peaceful in Jesus' name. And so I, I think I even sat up and I said those things to myself. I am going to sleep in Jesus' name. I'm going to be peaceful in Jesus' name. And I'm going to give this to God and go to sleep now. Okay? I instructed myself. And eventually, I fell asleep, woke up the next morning, and I shot out of bed that morning. And I just remember, I described it to Aaron later as this fire in my belly. I had a fire in my soul. And I, I knew what I had to do, how to do it. I had a plan and I went about doing it. And that morning I remember showing up and I said what I needed to say and it did not go well. No, I don't think it was ever meant to go well. I don't think there was any way that that conversation would have gone well, but it needed to happen nonetheless. And I wouldn't have had it happen without that fire in my belly. The Holy Spirit, because I gave that problem to God and asked him for his help, came into my life and gave me the plan and the boldness to go with it. There are still situations in my life that I credit back to that conversation because it changed things in only the way that he could. Even though it didn't go how I wish it would have gone, it had to happen, right? I thought differently. Sometimes... With disciple-making, you don't have all the answers. They just don't exist. You're wrestling with it, and you're worrying about it, but what the Holy Spirit does is help you think about things differently. New solutions to old problems, a higher perspective, right? God thinks on a higher level than we think. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. He, he has the perfect solution. Maybe not the one that you wanted or wishing for, but the perfect one nonetheless. Of course he does. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He is perfect himself. And when you tap into his spirit, who he is, you also are armed with that information. And it helps you think in different ways than you ever have before. You also act differently after you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, the perfect example of this is Peter. In just the next chapter in Acts 2, we see Peter preaching to thousands out on the street. After the Holy Spirit fell, he boldly goes out and he tells those Jewish people that you put Messiah, that Messiah on the cross. And it's a challenging, dangerous message he preaches. And only weeks before, Peter was the guy that denied Jesus in public three times. He had walked with him, ate with him, followed him his every step for three years. And suddenly when it got dangerous and real, he denied him, ran away. But after the Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit was in Peter's life, he was preaching and 3,000 people joined the church that day because of Peter's message. He acted differently. Still Peter but the on-fire version of Peter, the bold, uh, speaking from a place of authority, Peter, the way Jesus spoke. You know, Jesus, with 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, he spoke with authority. And that's the thing that drew people to him. I mean, he was also performing miracles and that caused wonder to spread and all of that. But we see over and over and over these stories throughout the Gospels where people were intrigued by the way that he spoke. He acted like he knew God personally, not just knew about him like the other teachers and uh, rabbis of that day, but actually knew him. The early church shared everything they had. That's the kingdom of God. That's the Holy Spirit working through them. The early church prayed together constantly. They were in the temple together every day. They shared meals together. That's the kingdom of God. When Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, he didn't always mean heaven or eternity or some faraway place or the kingdom that's going to come someday. He, he, meant, he said, the kingdom is here now because I am here now, because the Holy Spirit living within you helps you to act like actual Christians, genuinely loving people, sacrificially loving them. That's love. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of heaven that Jesus spoke about. If we're actually doing things in the name of the Holy Spirit, it all points back to the gospel, brings people into the gospel. Occasionally we think the Holy Spirit is like this, this weird force that comes in and distracts us from God's plan. And actually, God is a planner. He planned Jesus coming from the dawn of time. The Holy Spirit is a planner. Occasionally we make plans that are outside of his plan and he comes in and messes that up. But it's all according to his plan, the gospel, sharing the gospel message. That's our mission and calling. That's what it's all about. And we speak differently, think differently, act differently when he is resting on our lives. You know, there's this uh, other time where I was kids pastoring, and I remember it was after a class, and there was a parent that came up to me, and she said, she asked me a question about a decision that I made about her kid. And I, re- I remember her being very kind, but there was a little bit of fire behind her eyes, and I could tell she was a little upset. And I didn't know the perfect answer to the question that she asked. I, I felt like I made the right call, but just didn't have an answer. And so I, I remember I had my hands full, and so I made an excuse. I was like, you know, give me a second. Let me put this stuff down. And as I turned around, I just said, Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, please give me the answer. And I was panicking a little, and I put the stuff down, and I came back, and I said, okay, tell me about what you're saying, and asked her a few questions, and silently still praying in my head. And suddenly, I was answering the question. I mean, I remember the words coming out of my mouth, and I was hearing them for the first time, right? It it was like I was saying the perfect answer. I knew it immediately, but I hadn't thought the perfect answer, that those thoughts hadn't formed in my head ever, and yet they were coming out of my mouth, right? We, we pray all the time up here, God, your words, not ours, right? You speak through me today. Don't let them be my agenda. Let them be your agenda, and there I was experiencing that. I hadn't thought those words before. They were the Holy Spirit's words, and immediately it was the right answer, the right call. I knew it all him. We think differently, act differently, speak differently when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So let's keep reading about the power that comes on us. Acts 1-6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, 
Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Notice this question, because it's easy to just breeze by it. Lord, has the time come? They're still speaking and thinking in such physical here and now terms. They thought Jesus was still going to overthrow the Roman government and free them from their oppressors and that they were going to sit by his side and rule the kingdom and be vindicated and all those people who oppressed them and thought that they were wrong and tortured them for three years, they were going to pay and we're going to be in charge, right? That's the terms they were thinking in. Are you, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And you can understand how they would feel this way. I mean, three years they followed him, three years People tried to kill them and trap Jesus, and then they did trap Jesus and kill him. He's gone for three days. He's back suddenly for 40. He comes and he shows up and he speaks into us, and now must be the time. And we, we ask this question a lot, too. I know I do. God, is now the time you're going to vindicate me? Is now the time I'm going to get to show everybody that I was right all along? Is now the time that you're going to free me? restore my kingdom and set me up in power, right? We want Jesus to do that, and yet we're thinking in the here and now, in the physical. Again, Jesus has a higher perspective. He understands more than we do, and he wasn't come, coming just to restore their kingdom for that culture and time, but every kingdom for all people forever. They couldn't see that yet, but he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. Not for you to know. Did you know there are some spiritual truths that are not for you to know? For the Father to know and for you to trust him? Not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus wanted to give them power. Power not to see into heaven or to know the future and predict everything that's coming. Not literal power, as in political, government power. But power nonetheless. Some people, we get way too into prophecy sometimes. We want to see into heaven and, and know things other people don't know, make us feel special and like we have a, a direct line to God. But some things are not for you to know. You have a job to do here and now. And it's just to find more people, get them into heaven. Not even more people necessarily, but a, one person. Find one one more that you can save. One more you can snatch from the grips of hell. One more that you can show freedom and hope and love to. Jesus said, that's your mission. You will be my witnesses. You know, a youth student asked me the other day, how do I tell people about Jesus? How? I don't want to push them away. You know, I think he actually said, I, I took some of your... Uh, Easter invites, and I took them to work, and I put them on the desk, but I think they got thrown away. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Help me understand. And I said, you know what? I think sometimes we make it too complicated. Just step back and, and be a good friend, right? 
a real friend. Love people genuinely and honestly. Be there for them when they're hurting. That requires you noticing when they're hurting, right? Living a selfless life enough to notice the people around you and what they're going through. And then be there in those moments. And when they're ready to hear, you'll know. Right? Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. That is people who know they are lost. People who thought that they had it all together and knew all the scriptures he was often found rebuking and sending away, actually. The ones who knew that they were lost, he spoke to powerfully. Jesus just called you to be a witness. Another version says, power to testify. To testify about the things that you've seen and heard. To be a witness in a courtroom is to be called upon to share your experience firsthand. What you've seen and experienced to the people that haven't seen and experienced the same thing so they can understand, right? He called you to be a witness, to share what you've seen and heard. So what has God done for you? How is your life different since coming to know him? What did it feel like when you first gave your life to him? What has he done in your life? What is your story? We call it a testimony. What is your testimony? Because your story is the most powerful evangelism tool that you have. Nobody can look back at you and say, that didn't happen. What happened to me? (laughs) It's my experience, not yours. You don't get to say it didn't happen. Right? You you don't have to know everything about the Bible. Some people get so worried because I I can't tell people about Jesus. I don't know enough yet. You don't have to know it all. Just tell your story. Why do you believe? Maybe it'll help someone else. Right? Say, look, I, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I've been through similar things, and I can tell you the only way that I've gotten through it is Jesus. I know it'll help you too. Right? Just speaking your story. When the Holy Spirit comes on you like that, he'll nudge you in those directions. He'll help you speak with authority, with wisdom, beyond what you have naturally. Jesus spoke with authority. And when the Holy Spirit was resting on his life, he spoke as if he knew that he knew that he knew that it was truth and there was nothing else. You have that ability too through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love how how Jesus is so just genuinely, practically spiritual. (laughs) Like there's always practical in what he says. And he, he says, telling people, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, that was the town they're currently in, right there in their city, in their sphere of influence. Then in Judea, which is the larger province outside of Jerusalem, and then in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's like Gettysburg, Adams County, Pennsylvania, United States, and to the end of the earth, right? He's saying in varying degrees, you influence your world. This is just practically start here. Start in your own town. Tell the people that you have influence over. Some of us, we try to build these platforms. We, we think the only way to tell people about Jesus is to tell them in mass, right? <laughs> As we try to steal someone else's platform to tell them. Just start with your people, your sphere of influence, and the people that are ready to hear it. Jesus talks about the power, power to be witnesses. If you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit for a while, what are you doing with that power? What are you using it for? The Holy Spirit 
that I know and love pushes me, like, constantly, challenges me, stretches me, nudges me in directions that I am not completely comfortable with. They're outside of my comfort zone. They're good, just I'm not ready, right? In fact, I know it seems normal that I'm preaching right now because I've done it lately a lot, but there was a time when it wasn't so normal. I grew up incredibly shy. I used to call it my cage of fear. I was socially anxious. I didn't like talking to people. It was a very scary thing for me, and, and I slowly grew out of it with the power of the word and all of that. It's part of my story, my testimony, actually. But I was in ministry a few years and kids pastoring, and I was fine with speaking to kids. Like, that was no problem. I could handle a group of 100, just me, no fear, right? But adults was another thing. And speaking biblical truth to adults was another thing yet. And I remember being on, it was a few years ago, we were on the way home from a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's a 16, 17-hour drive. And I was driving. It was late at night. Everybody else in the car was sleeping. And there was just this moment to myself. And I remember sort of daydreaming, if you want to call it a vision, I don't know. But I was preaching in my head. And I caught myself. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's not happening, God. Like, I immediately knew this was God saying, you might do this someday. (laughs) Get ready. And I was, no, not happening, okay? We're going to switch the radio station in my head and think about something else for a while. And it just kept coming back and back and back. It was like a song that you just can't get out of your head. I was preaching when I was drifting off to sleep at night. And when I woke up in the morning, it was just, it was in there. And I remember saying, God, I don't like where you're going with this. I've always said yes to everything you've asked me to do, but I don't know about this one. I don't know if I can do this one. And finally, I think it probably just, he wore me down. I got tired of saying no. And I said, you know what? Okay. I gave him a test, as we often see throughout the Bible, people doing. And I said, if I'm asked, I will, I guess say yes. Maybe. Right? Maybe I'll say yes. But I'm not offering. Okay? That's why I'm not. And I was. I remember being afraid to admit that I was even having these thoughts to the people close to me, like Dad and Aaron and Jason. I knew they would make me do it. Right? So, couldn't say that out loud. But if I'm asked, I guess I will say yes. And sure enough, Mother's Day comes around and they're like, hey, you're, the, you're a woman on staff. You're a pastor. Would you want to preach Mother's Day. Yes. Reluctantly, she said. <laughs> I, yes, okay, yes, I will do it. I don't want to do it, but I will do it. And I spent three months preparing that sermon. And I loved it. <laughs> right? I, I absolutely loved the whole process. I loved the researching. I loved the preparing for it. I loved the making my outline. I loved doing it. And afterward, uh, the comments that I got from it, I just loved the whole thing. And I said, God, what are you doing here? That was just a one-time thing, right? But sure enough, it wasn't. And here I am today, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. Over and over and over, he pushes me, challenges me, Tells me, okay, you've mastered this. Now it's time to step up. Do more. Do something else for God. Use the gifts and talents that I have put inside you for me. 
And if you will, I'll give you more and more and more. If someone asked me lately, actually, it's a pretty common question. How do I know it's the Holy Spirit speaking? How do I know it's God that's speaking in my head? What's me and what's him? I said, well, there's basically only two ways to know, two questions to ask yourself. First of all, does it line up with his word? Right, because no thought that comes in your brain from the Holy Spirit is going to contradict anything in his word. So does it line up with the word? And second, and you're not going to like this one, did it work out? You're not going to like it because it requires you to do it, to test it, to actually step out in faith a little bit and try it, whatever you feel like maybe it's the Holy Spirit nudging you to do. And the way that we know this is, it's in the Word, it actually says the way to know that a prophet is real, that is prophecy, if, if, if a prophecy is actually from God or not, is to see whether it happens. There's another example of God just being so practically spiritual, <laughs> annoyingly sometimes practically spiritual, and just test it. If a prophecy happens, and you're likely to think that that prophet is speaking from God in the future, right? He's proven himself. That's kind of the way to test those nudges from the Holy Spirit, too. First, did it line up? Does it line up with his word? And did it work out? And the next time, if it did work out, you'll know that's the Holy Spirit speaking, and you can react quicker, faster, and he will begin to speak more and more often. Okay, verse 9. After seeing, saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Don't you love when God asks a question? you got to wonder, and I always perk up when I read of God asking a question to a human, because he's all-powerful, all-knowing, right? He already knows the answer. Why would he need to ask a question? He doesn't, does he? <laughs> he knows the answer already. And so when he asks a question, it's not because he needs to know. It's because you need to know the answer to that question. Acknowledge it and deal with it. And in this case, why are you standing here? Staring into heaven. You know, one commentary I read about this verse is, said that various times throughout the Bible, there is a cloud that covers what's going on in the spiritual realm. In this case, Jesus was taken up and a cloud covered the heavens. In, in Exodus, God spoke to the entire nation of Israel through a cloud that concealed what was going on above it. Uh, Elijah, I think, was taken up into a cloud, right? There are various times when something happens. The, the spiritual realm and the physical realm meet, and a cloud covers, so we can't see. And the point was that, look, you are not meant to know. It goes back to our first point, right? There are some things in the spiritual realm you're not meant to know. Why are you standing there staring at it? God gave you a job to do. Go do it. Someday Jesus will come back, yes. Might not be today or tomorrow. That's not for you to know. But someday he's coming back, and he's going to check up on the job that you've done. 
go do the job he told you to do. It's like that angel was just nudging them off the mountain, saying, look, I know that valley down there is scarier than up here. This mountaintop experience was cool. It felt good to be with Jesus again. But he gave you a job to do, and it's back down there in the valley where people will doubt your experience, where they will probably persecute you for believing in Jesus, where you're going to have to step up into your calling and be challenged. But that's where the job is. Go back down and do it. And for the next seven weeks, it took seven weeks from the time that Jesus ascended back into heaven and the Holy, till the Holy Spirit fell. It took seven weeks, and they had to wait. That was the first job. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until the gift God has promised comes down, until the Holy Spirit comes. And seven weeks they waited. And I struggled with that because sometimes I struggle with waiting, right? We, we want answers now, especially in a season of testing and struggling and pain. We, we want answers. God, why would you allow me to go through this, right? Why would you send Jesus here only to take him away again? Why would you give me an impossible job to go out and tell this world that hates us about Jesus? It's not fair and it's not right. And I imagine they had all of those conversations as they waited and waited and waited. And in Leviticus 23:15, it talks about the festival of the harvest, the actual day of Pentecost. Did you know that that was a, a day in Jewish culture? It was called the festival of harvest, and they described it as seven Sabbaths complete. Seven Sabbaths they had to wait to fully experience the festival of the harvest, but then it was good. It was full. It was right. Right? And that's when the Holy Spirit fell at the day of Pentecost. And it just got me thinking. God doesn't always deliver our answers, our help, our um, perfect protection, our healing, whatever it is that we're, we're waiting for. He doesn't always deliver it in the timing that we want, does he? But he delivers it at the right time, the most useful time perfect time, the complete time. The day of Pentecost was the perfect time for the Holy Spirit to fall because everybody was in town. It was a celebration, a festival. The wind came in Acts 2, and you can continue reading this story, but <clears throat> the wind came like a mighty windstorm, it says, and everybody was sort of drawn to the house, like, what's going on in there? The gospel spread that much further, that much faster because it happened at the right time, the perfect time. God, when he does something, he's doing something. And when he doesn't do something in our timing, he's doing something to trust him through those seasons and come out on the other side. The Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week, just as Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And just in case any of you were wondering why we celebrate church, why we come together as a church not on the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday, but on a Sunday. Because our Lord rose on a Sunday, and he sent his spirit on a Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. The early church called it the Lord's Day, Jesus' day. They didn't sit around and use that seven weeks to lie around and take a vacation, to walk away and say, well, obviously he's not coming, right, to get impatient and wander. They met together daily. 
they shared stories, they prayed together, they went to the temple, they ate together, they dug in, used their time wisely, and waited patiently. They persisted and were rewarded with a gift, and the, the band can come back up and get ready. And the Holy Spirit has been a gift in my life so many ways. It's protected me from big mistakes I wanted to make, spoken to my life. He's given me wisdom beyond my years. He's gifted me in so many different ways, not because I deserve it. Definitely, definitely don't deserve it because he is good. He wants the best for me and I'm willing to listen. Now, I have seen the young and old alike be baptized in the Holy Spirit and it's always beautiful. It's wonderful. Tears streaming down their face usually, not because of grief or sadness, but just pure joy, love, peace that they've never experienced before. You can see this whole new world in their eyes. The love of God just wrapping his arms around them. There was this one time at kids camp, again, where we had these two sixth grade boys along, and as sixth grade boys can be, they were mischievous little stinkers all week, right? But there was this one night at the altar, God just touched their hearts and they ran forward and they were praising God and worshiping and the tears streaming down their face to the point where, I mean, they were locked away in their heads. Nothing was going on with them and God in that moment. And the kids started getting restless and they were done and they were moving on to the snack bar. The worship team had quit. They were stacking chairs and those two boys were still at the altar, pouring their heart out to Jesus. Tears streaming down their face, probably being healed from things they didn't even realize they were still hurting from. Do you know kids have adult-sized problems? They go through divorce and poverty and crazy situations just like we do, but they have no control. And the Holy Spirit ministered to their hearts. And I remember sending our group on ahead with the other counselors, and I just sat with them. I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> didn't have to pray. Didn't have to speak wisdom. The Holy Spirit was already doing that, speaking to their lives, healing them from the inside out. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit falls, that's what he does heals you, things you didn't even know you were hurting from. Sometimes when he falls, he heals you physically. In the case of Greg Waldy, he usually sits right up here at the 1115 service, and he, he had the craziest story, uh, report of bone cancer that the doctors had ever heard of. I mean, he had weeks to live, and he locked himself away in his house. He went into what he described to me as like a pantry room house every day. He closed the door and he claimed the blood of Jesus over his life. He researched, he read the word, he prayed, he worshiped in that room. He spent hours in there every day. He may not have had to wait seven weeks because I don't even think he had that much time left according to the doctors. But he waited on God. Dug in to who he is. Pursued him relentlessly. Letting God strip away all of the unforgiveness in his life. And I'll tell you this story. Unforgiveness in his life. The anger that he had been holding on to from his past. He let God strip it all away. He gave it all to Jesus and allowed the Holy Spirit to work within him. And it's been years now. 
in that pantry room, God not only poured out his Holy Spirit on him and baptized him all alone in his house, but he healed him physically. No bone cancer, no cancer whatsoever in his body. His long life and good days ahead of him because of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit commissions you when he falls. I've seen kids. I, th I believe that I was called into ministry as a kid at kids camp at the altar when the Holy Spirit fell. He gives you a job to do. Sometimes he does all of it all at once. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is he knows us individually, personally. He knows the gifts and callings and talents that he's created you with. He knows how unique, special you are. What problem in this world that you've been called to solve through him. And he's available to every single one of us. Every believer he is available to. Not just the leaders of the Old Testament anymore. Not just the prophets. But you. And he wants to work a miracle in your life and through your life. To be a disciple maker, you need the Holy Spirit. All the greats throughout the Old Testament had him. And now, available to all of us, we all have a job to do. To go into the world, preach the good news, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today, you'll have the opportunity to ask for the gift of the Helper. Have the Holy Spirit rest on your life, but it doesn't have to be here. Go home, lock yourself in a pantry, pursue God to the best of your ability, and you will encounter Him. Ask God for the gift of the Helper, not just because it's another box to check, it's another spiritual step to check off. But because you want to do something with it, in the beginning of this series, I laid out a pathway for us. Find Jesus, move forward, and do something for God. You're called to something higher. You have uniquely been gifted with talents and abilities. You can reach people I can't reach. Your neighbor can't reach. Your spouse can't reach because of who you are and what the Holy Spirit wants to do within you. It's a responsibility. All power comes with responsibility, right? We come into this place every single week to get filled up with the Holy Spirit. We come in, we get filled up, and we go out to be disciple makers in our world. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to give an opportunity to respond to Jesus, maybe for the first time for some of you. And I'm going to give an opportunity to say, I want to be a disciple maker and have the Holy Spirit rest on my life. And then we're going to pray. So bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. Thank you that you've called us to be priests in your kingdom, that every single one of us could think of ourselves as pastors to our world, representatives of you. We can go out into our world and see people healed, set free, be given hope, passion, and authority again. God, we are not victims in our world. 
We don't take on that victim mentality. We are children of you, ambassadors to our world. We've been called to something higher, better, maybe not easier, but worth it. Father, I pray that you would use this week and this series as a commissioning for us as a church, that we would go out from here ready to preach, to be a friend, to love people genuinely. God, use the word like a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that we would quickly and easily see what we're called to do in our life, in our sphere of influence, that we'd be able to preach a clear, passionate gospel message to the people around us. Speak to our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit. Set us on fire. We would be able to go out into our world passionate, vibrant, and selfless for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. try to hem it in, the more you're, you're choking it. Pile it on and bury it, but you can let it breathe. And the Bible actually says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. That's the same wording you would use to describe the choking out of a fire. If you want a wildfire to burn in your life, you have to let it burn in your life. You can't contain it to once a week at mealtimes and holidays. You must let it consume. You must step out of your comfort zones. You must pursue. Fan into flames the gift that was given to you. final point. Why are you standing? Why are you still standing? The Holy Spirit made the disciples wait seven weeks in prayer. Seven weeks in prayer. And then they received the gift. And he said, now go. Go. If you're looking for more in your life, show some patience. Seven days from now, we're going to have a special prayer service here in this sanctuary. Sunday evening, 6 o'clock, next week, we're going to have a prayer service. We're going to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be praying for healing and some vision for our church. You have seven days to pray and get ready. Be patient. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Fan that into flame. And then show up at more prayer next Sunday, 6 o'clock, and watch that wildfire burn. Consume all of you and leave nothing left. 
Following this service, we're going to have the meet and greet in the back. Don't forget about prayer. But let's raise our hands to heaven one last time and pray. And seek God for this week. Seek God for our lives and what he has in store for us. Let's bring our needs in together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you are speaking. That you want a church filled with disciple makers. There is no disciple maker challenge this week. Because now it's time to live it. Now it's time to go into all the world and start making disciples. Disciples of Jesus Christ. People who will live a changed life because someone will bring them the gospel. We're done sitting on our hands. We're done waiting. We're going to pursue you with everything. This week, seek the Holy Spirit. Do not wait. Heavenly Father, would you fill those who are pursuing you? Would you give power to those who need power? Give healing to those who need healing. Give patience to those who need patience. Let us receive from a good Father. God, I don't want any more deaf disciples, but listening believers. I don't want to stay standing where we are, but move aggressively into your kingdom. I want more of you. We need more of you. So Heavenly Father, FB Church will worship you because we are